Welcome to Behind the Product, a podcast by SEP, where we believe it takes more than a great idea to make a great product. We've been around for over 30 years, building software that matters more. And we've set out to explore the people, practices, and philosophies to try and capture what's behind great software products. So join us on this journey of conversation with the folks that bring ideas to life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show and happy 2023. It's the first show of the year. And for our first show, kind of wonderful guest for you, Mr. Christian Idioti. Now, he is a partner with the Silicon Valley Product Group. This is the group that was founded by Marty Kagan. And I had the pleasure of meeting Christian last year at a product conference. He delivered a keynote and had a workshop that I participated in and absolutely loved his style. He tells a lot of stories and has just a wealth of experiences to bring to product development. Christian shared a ton of insights with his experience working with customers and companies who were transitioning their organizations to be more aligned with modern product development. And I got to be honest, I took a ton of notes, as did my co-host, Mike Cronin, who's an engagement manager here at SCP. And we had an absolute blast talking with and kind of learning from Christian in this conversation. Just a huge thank you to both of you for joining me. And I hope that you all enjoy this episode. Happy New Year. So I appreciate you guys spending some time with us. We really want to dive into kind of like really just maybe kick us off with a fun story. But then as we think about product leadership, you know, your workshop is around equipping product leaders and giving kind of a framework for how to lead within their organizations and touched on a little bit of this kind of digital transformation space because it's, oh boy, it is a broad uh, spectrum right now that's been going on for 20 years. You know, we as a company, we've been around for 30, almost 35, almost 35 years. And we've kind of been there along the ride with a lot of our customers. So it's been interesting to kind of watch and see over the years. So I'm excited to dive in with him. Lots of fun conversations. I was just talking transformations uh, today too. Oh, perfect. Pressing topic. It is. It really is. So I thought it would be fun if you, if I could put you on the spot, if you could tell us a quick story about like the most fun product you ever worked on. I know. <laughs> I was kind of doing a count of how many products I have touched or participated in. I think I'm over like 205 products right now in my, you know, over the last 18 years of doing products. I'm, I'm almost a product junkie in that way. I am. Um, <laughs> every year I start a new product. I, I go from idea to revenue. I taught a class on product innovation where students will come in at the beginning of the semester and will pick two ideas in the class. And by the end of the semester, you get to product market fit and it's value or revenue. Um, I fell in love with that and that I do it in my life. You know, it's almost a very sad hobby. You know, my children like, <laughs> you know, what do you want for your birthday? You know, my friends will tell you, find me a problem what's solving. Yes. It's the best gift people can give me because it excites me and energizes me to go out around the world. These days, I'm doing more products in Africa. I had this unfortunate false notion that solutions that we've come to love and adopt in Europe or North America are already widespread in other parts of the world. You know, and I was visiting Africa years ago and, you know, someone's like, I just got a job. I was like, how did you find the job? And he said, I found it in the newspaper. You know, and I'm like, wow, I solved that problem in like 1998, you know, <laughs> and it's still very prevalent as a means of finding a job in this part of the world. So, you know, I, I launched Innovate Africa as a brand and a company. I'm, I have many startups now in Africa that are 
focused on using technology to solve a problem. I'll be in Nigeria next week. We're actually launching walknigeria.com, kind of a job board in Nigeria. They've got a 33% unemployment rate. Uh, wow. Like a 5% or 3% is painful for us. But I mean, uh, and so, you know, leveraging technology to equip people and connect people to jobs. And, and I loved doing discovery in those markets. I love because the things you think you know and are common in other are just not. You know, you go to a society in which, you know, we trust our cell phone company in North America when they send us the bill. You know, if you send a bill in other parts of the world, everybody's like, no, I didn't make that phone call. Like, I show me the proof. I mean, and it's a difference. People do not trust <laughs> companies. In yeah. America, you know? So different dynamic and nuances. So it is probably, I always say the best or the most fun product I have worked on is the one I haven't built yet. And that's kind of where I am. I'm just a constant learner of the craft, constant learner of the lover of problems. I love taking a learning from one product into another. And, you know, I like the fact that I do not know. And that encourages me in this space. So it's probably the one I haven't built next. This is the one I'm building today. And so it's the one I'm most excited about because I see the numerous lives I can change or the impact I can have. But there are still so many problems out there once solved. I love that. I love the intersection of social good and betterment of mankind in places that are in deep need and bringing technology that may seem arcane to us, but like incredibly valuable. Yeah. Every day, day you don't even think about it anymore. It's commonplace, right? Yeah. It really puts it into perspective, you know? That's right. Oh my goodness. I love that. That's exciting. I'm excited about your next one then, I guess, (laughs) is what I'll be on the hook for. I was hoping that we could kind of dive into a little bit on what you've touched on here. I feel like we often find just at SEP talking to clients and going to conferences and talks, you know, there's a lot of discussions and advice around modern product management, modern product development. And there's a lot of examples around companies like Spotify or Netflix, where their product is software. You know, and at SCP, we've worked with companies, a lot of our customers are in the aerospace industry, they're precision ag, pharma, med device, where They've been around for sometimes over 100 years, and they're still trying to figure out software as products. And they're usually an enabler or a supporting function to their core product, whether it's an engine or a a tractor or whatever it might be. So I'm kind of curious, those models, right, the Netflix model and the aerospace model aren't necessarily compatible. So what have you seen work well in those situations where these companies want to work in a more modern way, but the prescription these days doesn't quite fit? A lot of what you're anchoring on, some of it is mindset, but you're calling out an underlying aspect of how the best companies work that differ from the rest. And it's not by industry, it's not by size, scale, location, or even type of product or service you offer. The underlying aspect here is the role of technology in those companies. And the reason some of it is mindset is that when I talk to companies and I say, what kind of company are you? You're my, yeah, you know, I'm an insurance company or a banking company or an aerospace company. Or, uh, if you talk to Salesforce, Netflix, LinkedIn, I don't know, Google, you know, Net, you know, what kind of company are you? They will all say we are a technology company. It may sound nuanced, but it's underscoring the role of technology in those companies. If I'm an aerospace company, technology may be a cost center, a necessary evil. Oh, we need to have uh, TVs in our place, uh, tech, build some tech things. Uh, we need some software to do it. Okay, well, we are an airplane company, so let's 
maybe outsource it to somebody else to do that. You know, we talk about like the problems Boeing had with the 737 man. We're an airplane company, that tech, the flight control system, we should outsource it. We don't do software, we do tech. But then you think about Tesla. You know what? One of the most interesting things I was reading was looking at concept cars from like the 70s of those shows that it auto shows that they put out there and all of the concepts. And you see companies like GM or Ford or kind of these Volkswagen have concepts from 1970, you know, that in 10 years, Tesla made into a reality. These were things that they thought were 100 years away. I mean, and they've been in the space for so long, you know, doing this. But when you look at Tesla, almost feels like a computer that drives than a car with a computer. <laughs> you know? but uh, yeah. It feels nuanced, but the role of technology. So what's different in these companies that, Technology is the business, or technology is an enabler. It's just how we solve problems for our customers. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. doesn't matter what you do, what service you provide. You're not saying to yourself, oh, should we use technology? Well, that's not really us. We do this, you know, okay, if we should do it, so should we, let's do a bid or outsource it. Like, it's just how the world expects to solve a problem today. And I say this to people in transformations because, unfortunately, many people feel they have to have a threat to transform. Oh, Amazon is coming into our space, so maybe we should transform. Or, you know, a new competitor is eating our market space or stuff. And I say to them, well, foundationally, your customers are changing. You know, I've got a 21-year-old teenagers in my house. No matter what question I ask them, hey, let's get food. Where did they start? They pick up their cell phone. They sign up for almost anything. Let's get a taxi, get a hotel room, do my homework. You know, Alexa, what's this? Google, what? you know, Siri, what's this? And, you know, if they don't know where to start, what do they do? They Google it. And My Alexa is saying that too. <laughs> but you see my point? It's right. This is what we call digital disruption, is that the customers you have today are not separated from technology. They will not expect to solve any problem. They will not expect to go into an airplane that is not technology enabled in some ways. You know, like, who are you going to still bring me manual tickets? Yeah, sure, they exist. But like, you know, why? I have a phone, you know, or pay with that. So it's pervasive, not because of the threats, the competitive stuff or the market advantage you might get from leveraging technology, but because your customers fundamentally are changing. That's I work with banks. My kids are like, why would I put my money in a bank? You know, they ask this very basic, sell me on this concept. Like, you know, you know, I need to send money to my friend or send it on my app or use it on real time. And what's the benefit? And there's a whole generation of customers that are going to be different. And so I challenge companies around this that regardless of your industry, your size, your scale, what you work on, there are two things that are true consistently. A focus on your customers means that understanding them means that how they expect to solve problems will change. And the role of technology within your company has to change. It is not a cost center, a necessary evil, a must-do. It's not a subservient model. It's just an enabler of how you solve problems. I love this idea of I fly on planes. I'm not in the farming industry, but if I were, I drive tractors. But like when I'm not doing those things, I am using technology to the nth degree. So my expectations stepping into any ecosystem are that my iPhone capability and my home technology is going to be synonymous when I hop on a plane or when I, I don't know, maybe I I have some medical device need, whatever that might be. It's a really good point. It has nothing to do with the other airlines or the other tractor manufacturers or the other med device companies. It's really me and what I expect as a consumer. As a consumer. 
You're complaining. Ed, my internet is slow on my airplane. You're like, you have 30,000 feet in the air. You actually don't have internet. Like, you know, yeah. but, but we complain about that stuff. Like, it's not who got into the- I've been one of those people. <laughs> you, you know, you're not even questioning, should I have internet? You're not complaining about the speed in the middle of space, hanging in a device, floating on air. It's those kinds of amazing things that you start to really say, customers' expectations. Yeah. What the industry? <laughs> I love that concept of the, the customer and they're changing. Absolutely. Have you seen this, that same analogy with the product companies? They make engines or whatever, but they want to build products, but they're internal. So they're not, in their minds, they can, they call them internal customers. They don't treat them that way. Sometimes they do, sometimes, but it more it's a cost center. Have you seen them shift? Or- we call them customer enabling teams than customer facing teams. You know, these internal teams, platform teams, these teams that are building things for other people. And I often have to challenge them because I always have to remind them, why are you building this? You're building it for a team or internal group of people to do what? Serve your ultimate customer. And I have to say, look, there's only one ultimate customer. You know, and that's who you're here to serve. You know, the, my favorite way of describing it, I think Sam Walton, who founded Walmart, will always say there's only one person that can fire everybody in a company, including the board and the CEO. And that's the person that chooses to spend their money somewhere else. You know, like that's your real customer. Like forget about all of this internal stuff. Like if, because if that person shifts your whole business. So I always tell teams, yes, you're building things internally, but you're building it to enable people to do things for your customers. And so you need to understand who you're ultimately yet to serve because a good understanding of them means that you're building things to enable those people to serve them better. If you don't know them, such a big void in your work. And so that's why I keep saying the principles still apply. Understandably, those internal customers still have a consumer-like expectation. What often kills many companies is that value is either assumed or forced meaning you don't have a choice. You are going to use this internal CRM or ERP that we built or this pay pay system that we built because this is what we've chosen to do. We built it. You don't have a choice. But then I always tell people, I say, that happens in many companies, but how many companies have you built, gone up, worked with that might have three or four of the exact same system doing the same stuff in the company? Five messaging platforms, six apps that do the same thing. And that's because we never really solved the value problem. Is this the best solution to the problem? Is this what customers want? Will they use it? Will they choose it? It was forced on them. So what do people say? Oh, this system is missing these features I want. And it's going to take so long for the team to build it. We're just going to build our own. Another team does, we build our own. And then three years later, a new leader comes in. This is a lot of waste. Let us build one platform to rule them all. And now you're building one to meet all the needs of others while those other ones are tweaking and adding features. You can never catch up and it's an expensive 10-year project. And then, you know, you now have six with the five that cannot be sunsetted. And then another leader comes 10 years later. I want to do the same thing. Cycles go. And I made a company, big media company, 103 like CMS platforms. You know? Wow. Happens. That sounds like a terrible failure in my mind. <laughs> what do you tell a customer when you walk into that kind of an environment? What's the path forward? You got 103 CMSs now that have been Frankensteined over 10 years. That's and right. What do you do? In some ways, it's a reflection of how they work, not even what they do. It's a reflection of that subservient model where business and technology are separate. So this is what I need as a business. Technology build it. I'm providing the money. 
So you do what I say, you know, I'm funding you. It's not the reflection of a team of people working collaboratively to solve a problem. So at the root, you know, understandably, the role of technology has to shift from a subservient model to a collaborative one. At the core, you have to stop funding projects and funding people to solve problems. You know, it's like we need a platform to help us manage content or whatever it is. Like, let's discover the best thing. You know, let us not just go do things that the businesses solve the problem. Why are we doing those things? These are big shifts. You're kind of going to the underlying transformation that has to occur in a company for this to work. You're changing how you solve problems. You know, you talked about mindset. That is a big shift because I could imagine, you know, the throw it over the wall model, right? The business and technology. I, I would imagine somebody from the business, I've heard this so many times, like, well, I know what the problem is. It's like, well, you might understand some of the symptoms. You might feel some of the pain, but like you may be halfway there. You may be 30% there. There's other experts to help flush this out. How do you help? Is this a relational equity thing? Is this a an influence thing, an authority thing? Like, how do you start to navigate some of these nuances within an organization? You know, when I talk to product teams about this, I often tell them, first of all, they are probably right. They probably know not the right thing, but more than you do. That's a good point. And this is what the power dynamic is in many companies. When people say, we are sales-led or operations-driven or whatever. It really is a reflection of who represents the customer the best. Because what is the defense if somebody says, I know what it, what is it? You say, how do you know? I spoke to 10 customers. We will, I have a sales deal I'll do. Everybody defends their actions in a company based on the customer knowledge. If you don't have a better, deeper knowledge of them, you are forced to be subservient because we are all there to serve the customer. So I always tell teams, well, let us assume that they do know. So what are you going to do? Ask them to teach you. Say, look, you may be right about what our customers want in here, but you know what will help me build a great product is if I can hear and ask some questions to get deeper so that I can get the best solution for it. So take me to these customers. Give me some, share. What are you doing here? You're having them transfer and share the learnings with you. The difference between those teams and true product teams is that product teams don't ever stop learning. So your knowledge should start to get higher than them. But first, you have to humble yourself to learn from them because there's a trust dynamic. A great product team or product manager represents the customer. They have a deep knowledge of the customer, a deep knowledge of the business, a deep knowledge of your industry, a deep knowledge of the data. If you're not competent in those things, why should I trust you to make a decision on what we do? If I know more about the business, the industry, the stuff, I should tell you. But if you know the customer better than anybody and I want more customers, I should go to you. Hey, we need more of the customers. You're the customer expert. Tell me. So I always say when when I see that dynamic in a company, what's happening is probably a deficiency in the product management competency. You do not represent the customer, the business or the industry as well as you should. This is not the, I know better than you. I have skills better than you. That's the ego dynamic that erodes many relationships. I say, look, just go learn. Say, hey, teach me. After, after they've taught you, they will now know you know what they know. And you can now say, you know what? I now know what you know. We have some great skills. We're going to keep going deeper and deeper into this. And, and after a while, you will start knowing more than they do. That's so good. <laughs> and that's where the shit changes in a company. Like building trust from yep. humility. And I mean, it's yep. it's simple, but yep. not necessarily easy. No, it takes time. It's uh, hard. It comes back to the transformation, right? Yes. Yes. That's 
all for your transformation. You've got to shift that. And there's a trust element. You know, we argue trust is based on competency and character. Like, do you actually know if I don't trust you that you catch the ball, I won't throw the ball to you. <laughs> you know, it's kind of one of those things. You know, so yeah. sometimes I will throw the ball because the only way I know you can catch the ball is if I throw it to you and I see you drop it. So most people test product managers. Like they throw by the, you know, the product team and they're like, they don't really know. They don't understand our business. They don't. And once they get that sense, they stop throwing the ball to you. I'm just going to tell you what to do because you don't know. So I tell people, show up to practice. <laughs> Go there. Do some plays not in the real world. Go out with them. Understand the stuff so that they know, okay, yeah, I see them catch some balls. You know, you, you, know, you can do this. Important mindset shift. Trust building shift. With that shift in a mindset, which I totally agree with you. Is that kind of kicked off on our side? Well, we run into a lot of those customers that are more product or atom based that are making something, right? And then, you know, we think of software on the bit side and they're trying to change, but they're caught up in that their products are 2.0, 3.0 and their software is following that same life cycle of 2.0, 3.0 versus no, that 2.0 now, right? That where customers really want to. Have you seen successful companies do things like, I mean, Tesla is a great example. Yeah. It's an, Adam company writes a car and their software, and I know people have Teslas and their software gets updated when it's ready to be updated. Yeah. Have you ever seen other models like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's becoming, I mean, Tesla is a great example. I mean, I have a Tesla, and, you know, there was like a, a recall for something. And, you know, Tesla sent me a letter with the recall. And it's like, and we have deployed a patch that will be overnight. Like, I mean, <laughs> all the cars in the world, rather than recalling thousands of cars to be fixed automatically have this stuff done. And I need people to see that as a fundamental shift because we talk about the base level of transformation. It's almost changing how you build. Many companies see this as like, oh, we are moving from waterfall to agile. There's a lot of fake agile out there, you know, in some ways. Oh, we still, you know, we walk in two-week sprints, but we release once every year, kind of stuff like that. You know, like what in the world is this? You know, true agility means you can respond to changes in your industry or marketplace quickly. You know, you can see opportunities and seize them. You can see threats and respond quickly. Uh, the holy grail on this is the, you know, CICD, kind of continuous deployment. Sure. And people are like, well, we, we are in one of those. And I say there's a difference between your ability to respond and you actually deploying in that manner. You see, there's a difference. We are regulated. We cannot just release things every day. I say, well, can you release things every day? It's different from should you release things every day? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it depends on your context, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you're building a muscle to be able to respond. Doesn't mean I have to flex. I mean, you know, I'm a muscle builder. Doesn't mean I go around punching people every day. <laughs> <laughs> but you can if you need to, to do it. So I tell you, you've got to invest in building an infrastructure that enables you to respond in that way. And true agility comes from that ability to be able to respond in that way. And, you know, when we now some of the Microsoft uh, IoT things and you, you see... Your, your dishwasher or your fridge talking to your, you know, other devices in your house and all these smart things and you're getting updates on air in some ways and, you know, connected devices coming through. So you're seeing physical goods devices that we're called atom companies, leveraging technology to enable them, whether it's at the middleware layer, hardware layer, or platform layer to be able to solve problems effectively. So it's becoming more and more prevalent, but this is really foundation. Change how you build. Tackle your tech debt. Tackle the infrastructure. Whether it's moving to cloud, you're enabling an environment that allows you to respond quickly to changes in your marketplace or industry. It's, all, it's transformation 101 for people, but I see people think that 
they've done it when they're just like, we now use Agile or we yeah. do Scrum. And like now we are automatically, uh, I'm like, no. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you just applied a prescription. That's right. You don't know if that prescription solves your pain. You know, <laughs> like how do you, we release every two weeks. And I'm like, well, what made you, well, the book said to release every two weeks. I was like, well, do your customers want you to release every two weeks? Does your business, can your business support that? And what are you releasing every two weeks? You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Change the color from green to red. That's the future. I'm like, well, what does that do for anybody? Like, how, what problem did that solve? In a, well, that's all we can do in two weeks. So it must be a future. There's a lot of agile theater right there, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And something I think we see a lot of times, oh, you know, yeah. it's, it's hard to combat. One of the things you, when you were speaking about funding, and I, I wrote it down because yeah. I love it, is said, don't fund projects, fund people. And I wonder if you can elaborate on that and how you've seen that transformation mm. within projects versus people and, and, and maybe going a little more deeper because I love, I wrote that down. I love yeah. it. And once again, that transformation is going to be difficult for companies. I often have that conversation with a lot of CFOs kind of making this journey in company. They're like, Okay, so I get it. We're doing this agile thing and we want a digital transfer. You know, my CEO said I need to fund and support this, but what am I giving you money to do? You know, I get a project, you know. We're going to build a new website, you know. I give them a million dollars. I send somebody from my department called the project manager and they oversee how my money is being spent and they make sure it's done on time and within budget. I know my project, I know what I'm funding in some ways. And I say to the leader, I say, well, why do you want the website? Well, I mean, sales believes the new website will help us get more customers. I say, okay. I say, what if we build the website and we didn't get more customers? You see, the solution has succeeded, but the problem still exists. <laughs> you got the pro- I say, well, we're going to play a different sport. This is what your transformation is. We're going to move from building projects to solving problems. The problem you really want is to get more customers. Building a website is just one of the ideas we have that could get us more customers. I say, if you fund the project, you know the best thing that could happen? He says, what? You might get the project. True. I say, you know, but when you fund people to solve a problem, you know what could happen? You could get many projects, you see? And I'm saying there, you know, I say, you're funding a group of people. And I always describe it to CFOs like, look, we are playing two different sports, building a project, but delivering a project is like hockey. Solving a problem is like basketball. There are two different skill sets. There are two different sports. You know, you could be like, I have great athletes. They play hockey. They are great. But like, they can't shoot the ball. You're going to lose the game. Yeah, yeah. Like, different skill sets, different roles in here. And I say, look, so it's a different sport. So, but what happens here when we are funding people to solve problems is that we are focused on solving the problem than delivering the project. And this is a fundamental shift here. You're you're saying, look, the real goal of this is to get more customers. If you try building a website and we don't get more customers, you're incented to try another thing. (laughs) Because I I didn't fund the project or build a website. Because if I build a website, whether it works or not, we are done. We win. Website delivered. It's a terrible website, but delivered. You know, yeah. money well spent. <laughs> but if you're funding people and to solve the problem, website builds, no more new customers, we have to try something else. You might get a new website, a new app, you might get that because you're focused on why, not what. That's so good. I mean, to throw a little Simon Sinek in there. <laughs> I, I love your analogy too. I've never thought about that. Like, yeah, hockey players and basketball players, or, or let's take Michael Jordan. Greatest basketball player. I'm sorry, I'm I'm old, so not old, but older. 
Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player uh, who's ever lived. So <laughs> if anybody wants to dispute that for LeBron. Right with you, so. Okay, thank you. Great. Awesome. We're a good company. And he, you know, he retired to go play a little baseball. It was terrible. He's a terrible baseball player. The greatest basketball player of all time. Can't play baseball. <laughs> they're all athletes, but they're playing different sports. I love that analogy. It's hard. And I, I, the way I would tell it to the stuff, I said, look, at some point, you know, it's very hard to convince like a two-footer that they can jump the ball, you know? No matter how athletic and great they are, like, you know, they're great, they've been great for us. I'm like, they're great. Of course they are, you know? But, like, they're two foot tall, like, you know? And I, I <laughs> like, this kind of sport, like, you know, they can shoot, stop, but, like, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a dunk. And I always have to tell people, like, you can play basketball with three players. You can. But are you going to win <laughs> a lot That's of games? This is why we need these different skills. So you, you're, you're not just funding a team to play... You need product manager. You need designers. You need it. this is what it takes to not just play the game, but to be competitive. And then there's you know techniques and things we use to win the game. That's what we yeah. do: with discovery and how we build and customer centricity. So all of those other aspects will help us win. So I'm thinking about like the specific athletes. So look, to ju- I'm just going to lean right into this. Lean right in. We're going to have fun. Uh, we're going to keep going. I was looking at my notes from the workshop that you had at industry, and I'm thinking about like product leaders. I know a ton of them here in our market, here in Indy. We talk with a lot of them at our customers. And depending on the company, right, they may have various levels of influence, zero authority, new to a company, young in their career, mature. So oh, they're all over the map. What do you think is like a strategy for a person in a company that maybe lacks that authority or influence? They're younger in their career, but they see the need to change. They see the need for this mindset shift in their organization. How do they embark on that journey? What do they do? Are we talking as in the capacity of an individual contributor? Yeah, like they're a product manager three to five years out of school. They work for a large corporation that is an atom-based company maybe, and they're starting to look at software as an enabler, but the organization is going about it in the way of atoms, not in the way of bits. How do they start that conversation? Remember, the core essence of transformation is to be able to do things you could not do before if not white butter, like, you know, capture opportunities, respond to stuff. Um, and most of what people can control is what the core of the job is. You, you know, I think, unfortunately, many atom-based companies will look at product roles as supporting the delivery of things than in deciding what we do. And there has to be some proof point that when we have an opportunity to focus on the customer, work collaboratively and focus on outcomes or why, we can get better results than if we were just doing things. And so I typically advise product managers in teams like that that are going through that journey of transformation in terms of what they can control is to solve a problem in a meaningful way. Because we need those stories in a company to enable people to say, hey, well, Sachs team, they did that in like two weeks and they delivered that quickly and customers love it. And that was a great success. And the story is not, well, we got enough money and our leader forced us to do it and whip us, but said, oh, well, yeah, we spent a lot of time learning about the customer, understanding the problem. We work collaboratively with sales and marketing and design, and we focused and tested and we experimented. Oh, we felt 27 times that you couldn't see, and this is the experiment that worked. And we, you know, like the story has to be that it's not what we did, but how we did it that led to the results. And 
product managers that really want to accelerate a transformation or a journey within the company, they have to tell the stories of how they can work differently because that's what encourages meaningful shifts. Because you might hear the excuse, of course, that work for Stripe, but we are big. You know, I get that from many of my big bank companies I work. I always hear scale and regulation. It's often one of the hardest things I say to CFOs when they say, we are regulated, we cannot. I say, well, no, you're not regulated. So what do you mean? You don't know our space. I say, no, your industry is regulated. Nobody wakes up tomorrow and be like, I'm going to start the bank and I'm going to do my own rules. They're going to follow your rules, the same rules you all follow. Are you suggesting to me that there are no financial technology companies that have solved problems better in your space within regulation? These are constraints. That's what makes it a hard job. Everybody can love to solve problems. But can you solve a problem that makes us money while following the law and that works for our business? Those are the things that make it a hard job. They constraint. So product is hard. Most of the time, making customers happy is actually easy. But making customers happy in a way that makes us money and profit and regulation, and that's part of the nuance of the hard job. So I tell you, you've got to focus on some of the problems. And you say, well, we are big. You know, we cannot be doing those things. Those are small companies. I said, what does big mean? You know, are you talking like, Market cap big, like Apple big? Are you talking number of employees big, like Amazon big? Like, you know, and they're like, oh, well, well I mean, you know, we're big, you know. It's, it's, you realize that if you think of some of the best products in the world, different industries, different leadership, different uh, geographies, different products they build, it's not what these companies do. It's how they do it. I love what you just said. Again, some real honest truth. It's just hard. And sometimes it takes time. You know, like I'm a sucker for an easy win. But the biggest, like the most rewarding things that I've experienced in my career were stressful a little (laughs) little bit, were really gnarly, like just like, I have no idea how to navigate this. But working through that and kind of toiling through that a little bit, I learned more than anything, you know, else that I've experienced in my career. And it was the most rewarding like outcome once once it was done. I love that. Yeah. I, I feel like we don't talk about that enough in our work that like sometimes it's just hard. The other thing Christian mentioned was in along with being hard is product managers not telling the story. You mentioned mm. the failures. And my mind went right to pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. Okay, there's a atoms, right? They're making something. They fail 90% of their times are not molecules. Right. But their software products have to have to succeed 100 percent or, you know, they don't, but they don't get that learning. So taking that analogy back to those customers. So I love that that storytelling. So thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. I've had um, different variants of like the same story of like, you know, many, many companies are used to understanding failure in like some aspects of your business, but they don't pass it on to software or like products. It's like because we always see the final product. We don't see all of the iterations and all of the failure. I'd be like, go to googlegraveyard.com. You know, see all the products Google has killed. Like, you will love some of them. Or like, you know, you see the final website, but you don't see all the 17 iterations. And we often compare ourselves to those final things than the iterations. You know, and you're right, big farmer. I mean, they succeed in R&D. I mean, you talk about the record amount of time it took for us to find the COVID vaccine. And I told people, like, don't be fooled by this. Experimentation, iteration, discovery has always been true. Part of the acceleration was customers. We had a record number of volunteers in the history of any kind of vaccine testing in the world. You couldn't be like, where is COVID? Oh, it's in some foreign company, country or somewhere. It was everywhere. Everybody was immersed in the problem. 
This is kind of almost the definition of customer discovery or development. It was pervasive. And I say the best products in the world are where you can immerse yourself within the environment of the problem and you don't quit until you solve it. And I say that to big farmer. I say, it has to be true in every aspect of your business. Iteration, experimentation, customer validation. You do that in your farmer. Why do you expect like the be- to make the best drugs in the world? Why do you expect it's not going to be true for your software? You know, it's like, well, we don't know what techniques to use. I'm like, we have techniques to do the same thing you're doing in farmer. You know, we did do experimentation. They do testing. They do iteration. They, I mean, you can even find that in, in manufacturing companies. You learn that Tesla builds more parts than any other companies in the history of automobile. Like they, everybody, you know, if you have a problem with your Tesla, they can change the whole path. They don't even like fix it because the teams are constantly like, well, what if we change the whole model? As long as it fits into the new car, you're allowed to iterate the entire path design. But you look at some other cars that have the same path for like 50 years. Mindset. That's that's Mindset. That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the other end of the spectrum was something else I was curious about. Virtually every <laughs> big, air quoting here, <laughs> what's big? A large enterprise, you know, thousands of employees, maybe publicly traded, has some level of strategy for them as a business. It's a quarterly and yearly cycle. Whether they hired a McKinsey or not, <laughs> somebody has, has developed some big plan. And then at some point in time, there's some black box stuff that happens. And then somebody gets handed the plan and says, okay, go make it. And that could be maybe, a, I'll say, a senior product leader. Let's assume that this company has kind of started at least down this transformation line. And there's a, uh, I don't know, I'll insert title here, director of product. Now their job is to go execute against that plan. But they weren't involved in any of that. They don't have any context, any nuance and they're kind of like, oh, crud, how do, like, I don't even know what half of this means. How do I go about this? Like, have you seen those situations when some of your customers over the years and what do they do in that moment? Like, what do they, they go back to their boss and say, I don't understand this. Like, I don't know. I, I, I may not suggest that, but they now have to go do against the thing that another group of people said, yeah, this is important. It is quite common unfortunately. And this cycle is self-serving and feeds itself. Typically, the way you might see it is like some board member is asking, where's your strategy? What's your strategy? You know, you know, people are like, I've never really done a strategy before. And then someone says, well, you know, I remember this company, they used Accenture or Deloitte or Bamakens <laughs> for their strategy. And, you know, the leader is thinking to themselves, hmm, okay, that's a good idea because if the strategy is good, then I was smart enough to bring them in. But if mm. the strategy doesn't work, then I can blame them for the bad strategy, you know, this is, this not, but you know, what's happening here is that you never learn how to do a strategy because you keep outsourcing the strategy and you believe that's the only way. And what you often get from those companies is a business strategy, not a strategy. Yes. You know, you know, it kind of goes back to my sports analogies. Like, you know, I would love to tell my favorite football team what plays they should do, but like, well, who's the best person to tell them that is somebody that, is on the field, sees the team, knows their skill sets, understands the new... Like, it's the coach. It's the job of the leader to come up with the strategy. It's the job of the product leader to come up with the product strategy, to come up with the product vision. So first, I often have to let leaders know it's your job. And the framework we do in this is we've got to focus. It is the hardest thing for companies to do. You know, most visions people share, but strategy is unique. How you go about solving a problem Every team wants to win the Super Bowl. Like, yeah, they have, like, you could call that the same vision. 
but they all have different ways of how they plan to win this season. So in some ways, that's what your strategy is. It's not what, it's how. And so, you know, teams have to do that. Now, when a leader gets dumped with something like that to go execute, what I always tell a leader, because this nuance, you know, well, I asked my manager, they just told me to do it. And I say, hold up here. What they are giving you with strategy is context. They're not just telling you where we're going, which is your vision, and how we plan to get there, which is your strategy. They're also explaining why, which is the part of the narrative context that comes true. Sometimes when a leader tells you, you got to do it because I said so, it may be because they don't know themselves. So please stop shaming them or making them feel bad or insecure. Insecure managers often undermine teams a whole lot, but that may be where it's coming from. So what I tell a leader is like, I think we'll build a better product if we understand more about why we're doing this. And let's go up together to both of us, because the more your leader knows, the better he's going to empower you. Say, let's go together, you know, up to person that worked with whoever to build this strategy and let's understand more about it because the more we know the more we can pass on the context to the teams because what empowers them is not just knowing what we're going to do or the problems we're going to solve but understanding why why are we doing this why is this important and why is this important right now these are the empowering elements it's not just the checklist of this is what we're going to do the empowering elements is the narrative and the understanding behind it so I tell the leader, oh, this is great. That, you know, if you work with me, people always say, I always say everything. That's a great idea. That's always my response. So you bring, oh, this is a great idea. Why? Because it needs to be a safe place. Where should you come with stuff like that? That the director of product bring your great strategy. I say, you know, I want to make sure we succeed when we do this thing. So let's understand more. Ah, I don't really sure. You know, let's go up because I'm going to be empowering a group of people to go do it. The more I understand it, the better I can empower them. You see, now what am I doing with this? I want to own that strategy because that's, you know, you're not talking about changing it at this point. You got somebody's going to execute, but I need to be empowered. And if we're not, then I need to do the discovery so that I can empower my team to go in a good work. This is a big problem in the industry yeah. and it's peace itself. <laughs> well, Christian, I really appreciate your time. This has been, I've, I've taken more notes, I think. Yeah, I <laughs> my, just like, oh man, like this, this is so many good nuggets here. We might have to do a second segment here of course. at some point in time in the future. Are you going to be in industry this year? I don't you know? know yet. Looking at my schedule for the year, we're just working on that as we go in. I do try to at least go to one or two conferences every year. Stop in the schedule, but I would love to be, I love the folks that I meet there, great vibe. I'd probably be at Mind the Product in San Francisco this year or, or maybe um, in Ireland, but I'll probably be at one of the conferences there to to meet people. And it's, for me, it's more of the, what I learn over than what I give out or, or pour out. And I'm constantly learning and meeting great practitioners over time. And that's always rewarding. That's really cool. Okay. So what's maybe one thing that's next for you, whether it's uh, a book, an article, another podcast, one quick shameless plug. We are going to do our very first inspired conference in Africa in September. We believe the market is underserved in some ways and, and they are both. So I am taking uh, several product leaders from around the world and I'm bringing them to Africa. And we're going to try to inspire meaningful use of technology and a product management discipline and train some people and coach some teams and entrepreneurs. So I'm super excited about doing that. I just launched a foundation to try to get a lot of support using technology in parts of the world. I mean, I have seen impact we've had in like South America or in Asia uh, years ago. And I think uh, there's no better time 
than now to try to have a similar impact on the product community in Africa. That's awesome. Yeah. What's the name of the organization? Really quick. Innovate Africa Foundation, um, Silicon Valley Product Group will be out there. You can visit our website, svpg.com. If you want to follow articles or follow our stuff, you can always follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. But I'm super excited about our work and the impact we have. That's so cool. I'm really excited about yeah. that. Christian, thank you for your time. This thank you so awesome. much. It's been nothing but my pleasure. Thank you all. Have a wonderful 2023. It's going to be a fun year. Yeah. You as well. Thank you.